Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. My sincere thanks to listeners and those who have liked, subscribed, and commented. Your interest is noticed and deeply appreciated. Today's podcast is about strategy and how strategies laid out by Sun Tzu coincide with the principles of Aikido. Oftentimes, people tend to identify Aikido by the techniques it uses. This makes sense because techniques are tangible and easily identified, making Aikido seem like merely a collection of particular techniques. Osensei said, quote, The techniques of Aikido change constantly. Every encounter is unique, and the appropriate response should emerge naturally. Today's techniques will be different tomorrow. Do not get caught up with the form and appearance of a challenge. Aikido has no form. It is the study of the spirit. Unquote. This statement suggests that Aikido is not merely techniques, but it is more based in strategy. I suppose this brings up what attracted me to Aikido, what it was about Aikido that appealed to me. That is, that Aikido seemed to be built on solid strategy. I saw Aikido as being efficient and effective while being low risk to the practitioner. While I respected arts which involved striking, I felt that they showed a pretty high level of risk for getting hit at the same time. It seemed that controlling the body and using your opponent's movements to do that was a solid approach. When it comes to getting hit hard, nothing hits harder than the earth, so why not let gravity do most of the work for you? Again, efficiency and sound strategy were very appealing to me. People often say that athleticism is not required for skill in Aikido, and this was a testament to the fact that Aikido employed efficiency. Now, I started Aikido in middle age, so counting on a youthful body which was still flexible and powerful didn't seem the best choice. If I chose an art which relied on being physically powerful, I would only have a few years before it was no longer an option, and I would have to find something else. Even before I started Aikido, I appreciated what seemed to be a strong relationship with wise strategy and tactics which supported that strategy. I also liked the philosophy, but I see these three aspects as being entirely interwoven. It would take years before I could start appreciating how interwoven they were, and I'm still learning more about it. To me, the realms of philosophy, strategy, and tactics are analogous to one's own realms of spirit, mind, and body. They all exist together and complement one another. If one is faulty or damaged, it will impair the other two. One important factor to look at is the difference between strategy and tactics. Tactics are tools, and the strategy is how the tools are used together to achieve a goal. The techniques that Aikido employs are tactics, and the tactics mean little without a way to fit them together. The strategy determines when and how the tactics are used. I definitely believe that a smart person using good strategy avoids having to use physical techniques unless absolutely necessary. The last time we crossed paths, my friend Francisco shared a brilliant tactic which illustrates how strategy and tactics are layered. Imagine you're in a crowd of people and you're looking around as people tend to do. You see a woman and look at her for a few seconds. The man with her looks at you and sees you looking at her. The next thing that happens is he glares at you and he says, What are you looking at? That's my wife. He's clearly angry and getting ramped up to fight you. People around take notice of the disturbance. Rather than facing the strength of his attack, even though it is just verbal, you try a different tactic. You respond, Your wife looks exactly like one of my best friends from high school. So close they could be twins. I thought for a second it might be her they look so much alike. Then I realized it cannot be her. She was killed in a car accident only a few weeks ago, and I miss her very much. This tactic is a redirection of the anger towards something that very few people could be angry at. Would it work? I'd say it would very likely blunt the man's anger and jealousy. It would certainly be a good way to get any onlookers on your side if the situation were to go physical. 
and indicate that you did not participate in escalating the situation. I really thought that that was a brilliant response. The strategy was to deal with this problem from an alternative angle and not head on. Responses like this require quick and creative thinking, but that's the very nature of strategy. Strategy was Sun Tzu's strong point, and his book The Art of War is one of the best sources on the fundamentals of strategy out there. For this podcast, I've gone through The Art of War and picked out my favorite parts. I will be commenting on their relation to Aikido, or at least how I see them relate. Sun Tzu. Which army is stronger? While Sun Tzu wrote primarily of armies and how strategy related to conflict among groups, the same question is relevant to individuals. It addresses capability. The greater your capability, the more options are open to you. Think not only about your martial skill, but your level of fitness. This would be how strong you are, how flexible you are, your level of cardio conditioning, as well as your injuries. A common shortcoming of Aikido practitioners tends to be that Aikido doesn't use strength, so you don't need to be strong or well-conditioned. And this is a false belief. Your body performs much better when you are strong and fit. Being in poor shape, weak, or overweight limits what you can do. If you are faced with a potential opponent, ask, which of us is stronger? This is an important question in strategy, as you will see shortly. Another shortcoming is to say, never compare yourself to others, which I believe comes from Osensei's statement about avoiding competition. The feeling usually is that you should only be focused on yourself, never others, during your training. And there is some validity to that. However, training and actual confrontation are different. A wise strategist must size up what he is dealing with so he can choose appropriate tactics. More on this in a bit. Sun Tzu. All warfare is based on deception. As with the description of the confrontation I described earlier, most likely the woman didn't look like your best friend from high school and no one died in a car accident. Deception is a tool, a tactic. Use it to avoid having to fight a battle. I believe this was the main underlying point to all Sun Tzu had to say. In his terms, fighting battles was expensive. There was a risk to his own personal safety in fighting a battle, but I think this was a secondary concern as generals rarely get hurt. The risks are far greater when you are the one engaged directly in violence. One lucky shot by your opponent and it's lights out. You miscalculate and something happens like he has a weapon or another person unexpectedly comes into play and it can end badly for you. The expense of personal violence might not come merely in the way of lost work or hospital bills. Deception to avoid these risks is an invaluable tool. This might mean you need to practice at being a good liar. When your safety counts on it, can you think quickly and be convincing? That might mean some practice. You would be a fool to try and execute a technique without practice, and the same holds true with using deception. Sun Tzu. If he is superior in strength, evade him. Here is where Aikido, even most modern Aikidoka, shine. Avoiding meeting strength, or what Sun Tzu describes as superior force, is something Aikido really focuses on. I believe it focuses on blending, giving in, and avoiding to the degree it could even be called a fault. More on that later, though. It is a valid and useful strategy to avoid meeting superior strength head-on. This is where the earlier point of, which of you are stronger, comes into play. If you are stronger, why would you give way? Only when your opponent is stronger would you want to give way to him. To me, this is summarized in the relationship between Irimi and Tenkan. Both are tactics, but this principle of Sun Tzu describes how to assess which one to use. If your opponent is stronger and more powerful, 
evade him or use Tenkan. I'll add to that if you are about equal in strength, but your opponent is in an advantageous position, then evade him or turn Tenkan. Conversely, if you are superior in strength, enter or Arimi. This last part is vastly overlooked in Aikido and I believe is largely forgotten, the reason being the influence of pacifism among Aikido practitioners. Osensei clearly showed that a powerful Arimi was a crucial tactic of Aikido. It's a shame that side of Aikido has been largely neglected. Sure, Iriminage is widely practiced, but it usually is blunted a great deal, which you can see by very blending entries. From a strategy standpoint, if an opponent is weaker and you see the opportunity, enter without hesitation and take control. Keep in mind, too, that Tenkan is merely the maneuvering to set up the opportunity to enter. Constantly evading is nothing more than buying time. That time must come to an end sooner or later, and will. The question is, who will end the conflict? A saying that is relevant is, every Tenkan begins and ends with Irimi, and every Irimi begins and ends with Tenkan. I'm still thinking on this to understand it fully, but I've noticed this is largely true when it comes to how techniques are executed. Sun Tzu. There is no instance of a country having benefited from prolonged warfare. This statement holds true on a personal level, too. The longer a fight goes on, the more risk there is to making a mistake, having your opponent get lucky, or having circumstances take a turn for the worse. Being in conflict is just not good. If conflict arises, determine if you really need to be involved. If not, leave. There's nothing wrong with walking away from a conflict you really don't need to be in. It is the best strategy. If you must be involved in a conflict, move to put an end to it swiftly. That doesn't mean annihilating your opponent, but find a resolution. The best resolution is one that all parties can accept, so further conflict is put to bed. I'm talking here both about making sure a confrontation is ended in a minute or two, or ongoing hostilities are ended in days. Any lingering conflict or animosity will likely turn into a problem in the future. I believe this is one shade of meaning behind Osensei's direction of seeking peace. I cannot claim any insights to his perspective, but this makes sense to me. Peace is as much practical as it is moral. Actually, all morality is practical, but that's a whole nother topic. Being locked in conflict is costly, and always remember that. Sun Tzu. Hence to fight and conquer in all your battles is not supreme excellence. Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. One might bristle a bit at Sun Tzu's choice of words throughout the book, especially Aikidoka. Terms like enemy and breaking the enemy's resistance or subdue a foe, fighting battles and impose your will upon your enemy appear to go against the very nature of Aikido. Remember these are terms and language used by a general whose craft was battles and warfare. Each of these terms are related to conflict of all kinds and are still relevant to conflicts in the civilian realm. An enemy is somebody who poses a threat to your safety or your interests. You could use the term rival, opponent, or some other word. The word enemy merely represents that they are not a peaceful influence. It may even be that they are inadvertently a threat to you, not that they have the intention of doing you harm necessarily. You must be ready to protect yourself from the unintentional threats as well as the intentional ones. Breaking the enemy's resistance is akin to dissolving their will to be a problem for you. That is, resolving the conflict. Subduing a foe or imposing your will on your enemy might just be making a firm point that it will be costly to interfere with your business and successfully convincing them to quit aggressing upon you. 
The civilian equivalent of fighting battles is dealing with day-to-day life. You might have to fight the battle of convincing your child to do their homework or clean their room. These are not military battles, but they are battles nonetheless. We cannot get caught up too much in Sun Tzu's terminology just because it relates so closely to the realm of violence. It represents all levels of conflict, and the principles are valid and relevant. Sun Tzu. We may know that there are five essentials for victory. 1. He will win who knows when to fight and when not to fight. 2. He will win who knows how to handle both superior and inferior forces. 3. He will win whose army is animated by the same spirit throughout all its ranks. 4. He will win who, prepared himself, waits to take the enemy unprepared. 5. He will win who has military capacity and is not interfered with by the sovereign. I'll address each of these in order. 1. He will win who knows when to fight and when not to fight. There is more to this than merely not fighting. After all, being a coward and fleeing from every conflict is not winning. I'd say the opposite is true, that merely running away constantly represents losing. Sun Tzu addresses this more in detail later on. If we define winning as not only protecting ourselves but our loved ones and our interests, we must be able to pick wisely when we must take action and when it is wiser to bide our time or reposition ourselves. The time to fight is when you have the advantage. If you wanted a better term, you could substitute assert yourself instead of fight for better relevance to civilian conflict. There are some times when you must engage, and the wise strategist understands when that is, and more importantly, when that isn't. Number two, he will win who knows how to handle both superior and inferior forces. This is as much tactical as it is strategic. Are you just as comfortable and successful performing techniques on someone who is much larger and stronger than you are as you are somebody who is smaller and weaker? It is easy to fall into complacency in your training by working with ukes who are easier to deal with. Number three, he will win whose army is animated by the same spirit throughout all its ranks. This point relates more to the morale among the troops and really doesn't apply to Aikido very much, or at least it's not obvious to me how it does. Number four, he will win who, prepared himself, waits to take the enemy unprepared. On a personal level, this has to do with being well prepared not only physically but mentally. If the moment isn't right, don't take action. This takes a great deal of patience. When the time of opportunity arrives, which is seeing your opponent unprepared, you are ready to take action and you should be able to move without hesitation or delay. Number five, he will win who has military capacity and is not interfered with by the sovereign. This statement is heavily geared towards a military leader who is not restricted in his actions or authority by a superior. By sovereign, I presume Sun Tzu is referring to a politician as opposed to a superior military leader. On a personal level, I view this statement as having two important factors. The first is a person who has military capacity, that is, a martial artist who is strong and capable. While this is not required, I would question the sanity of somebody putting themselves in harm's way by engaging in violence without being capable. A desperate situation might call for your intervention, but the chances of success are far higher if you have martial capacity than if you don't. The second factor is not being interfered with by the sovereign. The personal level there is that you have mentally prepared yourself for dealing with violence, the sovereign being your mind, which reflects your morality as well as your physical training. Are you mentally prepared to do what needs to be done to save the life or safety of yourself or a loved one in the face of an extreme threat? Have you thought about what you would and would not do in drastic circumstances? While you cannot envision every dire circumstance to come up with an answer, 
Forging out your morality as well as preparing yourself mentally with a level of toughness is valuable to being ready to act without hesitation. If you do get into a high-stress situation, confusion and hesitation can mean the difference between success and failure, of survival and death. Sun Tzu Hence the saying, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained you will suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. This is one of my favorite sayings by Sun Tzu, and it gives a good perspective on the proper things to focus on. I also think it describes a common pitfall many martial artists fall into. That is, they are overly focused on themselves. The idea that you are only intent on improving yourself and should ignore others is a false one. You should observe both. You must understand how bodies move and how people show their intent. These are aspects of conflict and combat. Merely focusing on your own body movements is not enough. They are important, for sure, but someone who can skillfully read an opponent, but who may only have average technique, will do far better than someone who is extremely technically proficient but does not read an opponent well. Sun Tzu The good fighters of old first put themselves beyond the possibility of defeat, and then waited for an opportunity of defeating the enemy. Putting this statement in the perspective of personal or small conflict rather than army-sized conflict, I believe the phrase possibility of defeat refers to allowing yourself to be put in a position of disadvantage. Full battles between groups of forces are not decided in an instant with one blow, but this certainly is a possibility in hand-to-hand -hand combat. One good shot can knock you out or incapacitate you enough to make any further resistance impossible. This is defeat. Therefore, I see this as a lesson in maneuver, and it would hold true both for a leader guiding troops as well as an individual facing a single opponent. The basic theory is you position yourself wisely so that your opponent cannot destroy you with a strong attack. Your goal is to outmaneuver your opponent so that they are never in a strong position to execute a powerful attack against you. You should keep to a good position which is fairly safe for you and be ready when you see the opportunity to enter and end the conflict. This point is related to the first essential for victory listed above, know when to fight and when not to fight. From an Aikido perspective, you could call this know when to enter and when not to enter. Enter when you can do so safely. Do not enter into a dangerous position. I've split this subject into two parts, and this is the end of part one. Stay tuned for part two. What do you think of Sun Tzu's strategies, and how do you relate them to your Aikido? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube, or go to the Facebook group Aikido the Marshall side and post a comment. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.